ask you a little bit about one of the other players that I'm familiar with in the space, which is Aweber. Mm-hmm. Um, could Aweber be uh, going public by constant contact has? I'm not sure about that. Um, they, uh, I'm not sure what their goals are. Not, I don't know if they've raised investment capital or um, if they're trying to sell the company or have a liquidity event. Um, but if they could get their revenues to sort of 30 or 40 million, that certainly might be a possibility for them. Um, Uh, yeah, do you, I mean, do you think, do you think A. Weber... ...compared to us, um, in, sort of in terms of number of employees, and um, I'm not sure if they don't publish what their revenues are, so I'm not sure how big they are currently. You, you don't think they're in the, the, the 20 to $50 million range? Oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're not. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, we're, as far as I know, we're larger than them by a factor of two. All right, okay. What about compared to the big players, like, uh, say, Exact Target? Sure. Um, exact Target uh, is actually probably just, uh, about $30, $35 million in annual revenue, and um, they are looking to go public in the next two or three months, actually. They're, they're, they, don't, they don't compete against us. They're constant contact. They're more in the sort of mid-tier and enterprise markets. So if you want to go out and pay five or $10,000 sort of minimum uh, at an entry level, um, you know, or a much higher CPM for higher, uh, you know, dynamic content integration, more advanced features like that, you would use exact target. So, in your case, um, like you, you, you know, you're, you're both doing email. You're getting email through for customers, but a company like Exact Target is almost basically irrelevant. Um, I mean, we, we for in terms of the small business market, our prices start at ten dollars a month. Um, or is it, I, I don't know what exact target starts at, but it's probably more like 1500 minimum, maybe more like two to $3,000 minimum. Um, but in terms of, you know, being a deliverability engine and getting messages through the inbox of the recipient, um, that's something we're very, very good at, as well as providing the autoresponder functionality and the ease of use and the surveying. Right, okay. Um, would you suggest, then, that... Um let me let me make sure I understand this. I mean, I'm just I, I'm, I'm stunned by this the size of Constant Contact because I assumed that they were just another little small company, and you're showing me that they're you know they're not huge, but they're they're, they're starting to become a decent size. I mean that's that's real. I yeah. I, I didn't expect that. Yeah, they've raised thirty eight million dollars um, over the past ten years, so they've been around quite a while. And I mean, so where did all of their customers come from? Um, well, there are 24 million small businesses in the United States, and you know they've got 145,000 of them. So uh, they are they have a pretty good uh, customer acquisition model through online advertising and as well as offline advertising. And so they've just been what just advertising all over the place, acquiring customers and getting signups and you know the, the usual stuff. I I just haven't seen their presence around that strongly. I, I didn't know they were that size. I guess I'm, I was misreading the market. Yeah, they're 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 not really. Uh, too big of a player in the internet marketing industry, um, so uh, that may be one reason why you might not have heard of them too much. And you know, a lot of people that will want to do a lot of emails, say more than twenty-five thousand emails, would would probably not use Constant Contact because they're very focused on the slow end of the market. All right. And um, so, what would you say is the, the differentiator? How are you different to those guys? Sure, a uh, number of ways. Um, number one, we're um, 
we have much better deliverability as far as you know. They, as far as the statistics, they publish ninety seven percent inbox delivery. Uh, we have third party uh, audited deliverability by total veracity. That uh, two months ago had us at one hundred point zero percent inbox deliverability. In this past test last week had us at ninety nine point nine percent inbox delivery. So we focused a lot on deliverability. Our prices um, at the entry level start at ten dollars a month. Whereas their product, if you include surveying and you include their archive feature, which we include for free as a part of our product, starts at $27 a month. So we're considerably cheaper at the low end, um, as well as at every level that they have. Um, we offer uh, an autoresponder service, which they do not. We offer list segmentation. We have more templates. Um, and we feel that our software is easier to use, has a better user interface. Um, so those are just some of the differentiating uh, factors between us. And well, I can tell you when I was evaluating just for what to use for my stuff, my, one of my key things was being able to import lists. And and then there was a couple of other features as well. I had one of my developers look into it, and um, we did. I know we evaluated Constant Contact, and, and we stayed with Eye Contact. We moved to Eye Contact. Yep. Yeah, uh, I think for anyone that you know that's sending a high volume of email. Um, uh, you, you probably would find their service a little bit better. For higher volume, for, you mean for constant contact? Yeah, I mean, they very much focus on someone that might be sending out you know, 500 emails, 1,000 emails, 2,000 emails a month, that type of thing. Right. Well, that's, I mean, that's about the volume I'm, I'm in. I mean, my, my lists are fairly small for the, some of the yep. stuff I'm doing. Yep. Mine aren't gigantic lists. I have others in other markets that are, but not not for for, the, for this list that I'm managing here. I, I can't, it's a it's a it's a small list, but it's a it's a very targeted list, and so I want to make sure that I'm getting every single email through, and there's no problems, and you know all that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of importing, you look at another one of our competitors, Aweber, as you mentioned, and uh, one of the things they require is that you have to redouble opt in your list every time you upload it. And that's not a requirement with us, so that's been a, something that's benefited us in terms of getting customers over from us from Aweber. Yeah, and I mean that's like a. a <laughs> I, I I don't understand now how they're still able to do that. And well, I mean we we talked a little bit out offline about that. Um, I'm I'm. You want to talk about a little bit about how that works and why you're actually able to do that and still get your mail through? Sure. Um, you know we kind of started five years ago and we had a, a tremendous focus on deliverability and. Um, what we created was something called the Preemptive Spam Protection Program, which is a, a number of algorithms and technical uh, programs. But at its core, um, what we're able to do is when you upload a list, we're able to check it against commonly harvested addresses to determine is it a harvested list. And then when you check the content against um, so that we can see if it's likely to have a high spam score and get through the recipient. And then when it's sent, Every message that's sent to more than a thousand recipients, we have a human manually review um, within five minutes. So, if uh, if your message is being sent out and it is a Viagra promotion, we will stop that and it will never go out. So, we're able to stop uh, the very large majority of anything that even seems to be potentially unsolicited email before it goes out, which has allowed us to maintain very good relationships with the ISPs and have complete uh, full inbox delivery. I, and I, didn't, I remember seeing this and not understanding, like why I'd send an email and 
it wouldn't take it would take a while to go out. I've, and, and other services I've used it, and it, it might take a little while. And I, I, I understood that that was just because they were being queued by the mail server, and was like that was okay. But you know, you kind of do want the mail to go out fairly soon. And I found that confusing. Like it's been queued. It was. I, I remember seeing something like it's been queued to be reviewed, or someone in support told me that, and I. I didn't understand. It was I was like, man, what the what what is this? Like, you have to review my email before it goes out. So like, it's almost insulting. But now, when you explain it this way, it makes a whole lot of sense. And I mean, you built your business model around it in a lot of in in large part. I would suggest. Is that correct? Absolutely. And you know, we've we've set up the process and we've sort of outsourced it so that we can uh, we can do the reviews. I think something like ninety nine percent of the time in under five minutes. So. Um, it, it's something that won't affect your speed, but will allow you to get very good deliverability. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, and and that's what I'm noticing now is that the reviews are quick. And so, you, even though, do, do you build reputation up for customers? It like in the case like mine, where I've been sending to my list fairly reliably over a period of time. Do you do you remove that review, or do you still keep it in place? Absolutely. So we uh, we have a higher threshold the longer you've been here. So if you've been here less than two months, we'll review it up. If you're sending to this number of people or more, if you've been here more than two months, that number goes higher. Um, at any point in time, if you request to not be reviewed, we'll take a look at your recent sending history and your complaint volume, and we can add you to a whitelist so that you don't have to be reviewed. Hmm. Right. So you've obviously spent a lot of time in deliverability. Um, I'm, I'm interested in your opinion of um, reputation management, and I'm talking about guys like... Um, Habeas, uh, Center Score Certified, and um, I forget the name of the other one. There's one that's cheaper than the other two. Okay. What, what, maybe you want to just start, and I'll, I'll look for that while you're telling, while you give me your sure. response. Yeah, I mean, for, for the most part... Um, oh, ISIPP is the name. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, for the most part, Sender Certification, uh, that, you know, it's been called a number of different things, is... Um, it's generally what you need to, to do if you aren't using uh, a third-party ESP that has good deliverability. Um, and, you know, if you are a financial institution um, and you're a bank and you want to certify your email, um, you can pay a special sort of extra cost per email to have your email certified so that the images show up and you have a special certification when the messages get to the inbox. But for the large majority of uh, senders, it's just, something that's not required. If you're trying to build the infrastructure yourself, um, which will take money and time to and lots of energy to build up those relationships with the ISPs, center certification is sort of a way to help with that. Um, but uh, you really don't need it. Uh, so it does add value there in, in, in those instances. Um, let, let, um, let's, let's say that you're, you're not someone where your, your main focus is email, but it is important to what you do. Does, does right. then the reputation management, do they go in there and, and basically help facilitate those relationships? They go along and say to Hotmail and to, um, to AOL and everyone that, yes, this guy is a good guy and, and you should listen to him. Is that, is that basically what you're saying? Um, as far as I'm aware, um, it, it's more of an automated service. It's sort of a, 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 something that's appended to the header of the email um, so that it can authenticate that it is from a certified sender that's posted a bond. Um, there are services like Return Path and Total Veracity, however, that will do what you said, which is help you as someone trying to build your own sending infrastructure on your own IPs 
um, build up relationships, whitelist agreements, feedback loops with the ISP. The problem that one run in, one runs into is unless you're sending a noticeable volume, which is you know 50 million emails per month or higher, probably even more than 100 million per month, people at the ISPs aren't going to take you seriously. So it's almost easier if you just pay an ESP email service provider to, that already has spent the time and the investment to get those ISP and IP relationships set up. It's the feedback loops that really take a long time to set up that are extremely valuable with the major ISPs. Well, I'll give you an example. Let's say uh, uh, tagged.com, the social networking website. Um, uh-huh. They, they, they uh, <coughs> through their viral invite process, <coughs> sorry, they bring in um, 300,000 new users a, a day. Um, and and that's all. They're all all through email invites. Um, in they, they, they use um, services like I think they use both Habeas and Senderscore certified to manage their reputation management. So it's a good mm-hmm. fit for a company like that. Um, instead of going out and working directly with all all of MS uh, Hotmail and AOL and everyone directly. Sure. Or, or are you suggesting even in a case like theirs that they don't really need to do that and it makes more sense for them just to go and work directly? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like that what they've done is they've created their own um, transactional email uh, sending engine. It sounds like it sends about 10 million emails a month. Um, so if you're trying to manage your own email sending application um, in your own back end, then sender certification authentication can be valuable, in my opinion. If you're trying to send out marketing messages um, to recipients, it generally is just a lot easier um, to use an email sending provider that already has those relationships rather than try and set it up yourself. No, sure, I understand that. I mean, because we have people with all sorts of different backgrounds listening, so it's useful to understand this for, for different cases. Um, and and I'm just what I'm what I'm really trying to understand here is is your thoughts on the reputation management itself. I mean, because I've I've talked quite a bit with uh, Anne Mitchell from ISIPP. And, and she's explained how they, they will go over every IP address that you're going to be sending um, f- mail from, and they'll they'll give, they'll ex- have a sort of a, a review of exactly what that IP address is being used for. You know, this is this kind of email, and this is where the source came from, and um, this is it's single opt-in, and you know, this has happened to it, and so on. And so, obviously, hopefully, a lot of it's um, confirmed opt-in. Um, but at least then it's clear w- where it's being used. And so when then questions come back, the, let's say uh, Hotmail has questions about it, they can, it's, it's referred to uh, ISIPP, who already has a, a kind of review already done, and, and therefore things move smoothly. That's, that's the process I'm interested in understanding your, your thoughts on, whether there's value there, or do you think it's, it's just better to go and do all that direct? Um. And, and I think if you're sending out, if, if sending out transactional emails, in other words, you know, thanks for signing up for our our software program, um, or a you know something that Tagged might do to welcome their new member to the network, um, that in that case, I think it can be valuable. If you're trying to send out marketing emails, it, the cost of using an authentication service and having to set up the IP relationships yourself anyway, for the most part, I think it just makes sense to stick with a with an ESP. Um, I've not, we've never used um, sender authentication services because we don't have to because we already have all the relationships set up and automated. Um, 
So it sort of would be, it's, it's something you would need to pay for if you don't have those relationships set up, uh, if you want to do the email yourself. If you're doing some kind of an application, which is something that doesn't fit into eye contact, that's kind of what I'm referring to in this instance. Right. If you're doing sort of non-marketing emails at a very high volume of, you know, more than 50 million a month, then that would probably make sense. Right. There's no kind of engine out there to handle all of that stuff for you, is there? You, you have to do all that yourself and then just use a reputation management to help get it through. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, there, there are, um, I mean, you can use, uh, there's sort of the, the, the back, the open source tools like Postfix and SendMail that can do some of that. There are application boxes like StrongMail and message systems. They can allow you to set up some of that, um, but you still would need to set up the relationships with uh, the hobbyists and the uh, return path and sender score and, and those types of, in order to be able to do that. Hmm. Actually, the founder of Strongmail was at the cocktail the other night, just so you know. Oh, good. Um, all right. So, and, and in your case, so uh, did you start off? Um, I mean, how did you? How did you in the beginning? How did you start making sure your mail was getting delivered? I mean, your eye contact, like right now you're a decent size. Back then you weren't. How did you get your mail in? Sure. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because it wasn't as... When you're only sending a small amount of email, you're not really on the radar screen. And then once you sort of get to that 2, 3 billion, 4 million a month, you know, which obviously gets you pretty quickly, then you start to have to set up the feedback loops and the relationships. And uh, we weren't all, We certainly didn't always have uh, sophisticated systems as we have now. Um, so I, I, you know, I think in some cases our delivery wasn't as good in the past as, as it is now. That's uh, certainly the case. So we've evolved and we've learned, and fortunately we have five years of experience now in getting four to five hundred email million, four to five hundred million emails a month through to the inbox of recipients, and we're able to, you know, provide that at a, you know, that's sort of a sunk cost. So it's very easily and cheaply distributed to the 16,000 customers that we have. And so do you have like a a stats like you watch in the morning or during the day like what your deliverability is? Um, We uh, check our deliverability once a month for a third-party testing firm. Um, And we we have a uh, full-time sort of deliverability vice president of ISP relations person that monitors that constantly through our network operations center. Um, and that's that's been enough. So you get a report back once a month, and and you said you're in the 99th percentage. Your 99th percentage that's, is getting through. That's right. Yes. Hmm. And and you would attribute that mainly to your review, obviously keeping um, keeping your IPs clean and, and maintaining those relationships. But um, in in the, the the review process you have in getting the in getting the mail checked before it's sent. Yeah, I mean it, it's the. Um it's the ability to detect anyone that's importing harvested list, the ability to see content before it goes out and stop, stop it if it looks like spam, and the feedback loop. So if anyone does get complaints, which does happen, of course, um, you're able, instead of them blocking our IPs, they report those complaints back to us and we aggregate them. And then we're able to say, well, this person got this percentage of complaints and this person got this percentage of complaints. And if it goes over our acceptable ratio that we've internally established, then we can ask them to do things like double opt in their list and give them best practices, tips to improve uh, their sign-up form, those types of things. Hmm. Have you have you patented this process of having your uh, mails reviewed before they go out? No, we, we have not. Um, 
it's sort of uh, in the fast-moving world of, of web-based software, by the time you get a patent three years from now, it sort of might be irrelevant. So um, it's something we, we might look at in the future, though. It's an interesting idea. Yeah, I mean, it was because it would. It, it seems to me like one of the one of the one of the more important things on your service of being ha- having that mail checked before it goes out. Yeah, I, I would uh, agree that that's been very beneficial for our customers delivered. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, how, I mean, how have you found working with Pivotal Veracity? Just back onto the onto the, the getting the mail delivered, and I mean, so they're a consulting firm to help you get your email delivered, right? Right. Um, you know, they've got an automated testing service that gets from 129 to and your non-delivery percentages are. Um, so that's uh, what we do on a monthly basis to test it. Um, but you know, whenever you contact you, an ISP representative, once they build up enough trust with you and they know your volume is sufficient enough, They'll open the door for you. It's almost sort of like a secret uh, network, and you sort of have to join the um, message anti-abuse working group and the ESPC and the EDC, and um, eventually you, you get in with the right people, and you see enough people time and time again that they begin to trust you, and if your volume's high enough, they'll let you in to set up the feedback loops that they, uh, that, so that you can manage the complaints yourself instead of them shutting you down. So and so, it's like the secret decoder ring. There's a secret circle of email people, and you, you've been allowed into that secret circle, and, and now you can get all your mail through. There, that's absolutely uh, the case. And um, you know, pretty much anyone that is has a good reputation that is not getting high levels of complaints, that is sending more than 100 million emails a month, can, can get in there as well if they join the right organizations that I mentioned. Um, but if you're sending less than 100 million emails a month, it'll or yeah. Per month, it makes sense to sort of just join an ESP that already has those relationships set up. And so, it is very much reputation driven. Um, you've got to know the right people and kind of prove your way, and, and then then they kind of allow you in, and then they'll work with you. Is that right? That's absolutely the case. Yes. Hmm. And do you? I mean, do you know these people personally, or it's just uh, things, relationships that have evolved over time electronically? Uh, some of the people I've, I know personally are. Uh, DPISP relations, those their wives and their husbands and their kids and send them gifts back, gift baskets and these <laughs> the conferences three times a year and all that good stuff. Okay, so you do know them quite well personally. Uh, you, you try to because they they're very powerful people. And I guess they have a lot of other people want their time as well. That's very very true. And so, I mean, maybe you, can you talk about one of those people? Let's say, like, um, you know, you don't have to name a company, but you know, one of these guys at one of these major companies. What are they? What are they typically doing all day? They just, just, you know, let's say Hotmail. They manage. They're deciding who gets into the Hotmail or who, or who doesn't. Right. I mean, if you sort of obviously spam is a huge issue, right? And um, the big ISPs, AOL, Earthlink, Hotmail, Gmail, uh, the big email service providers, and all the ISPs are. They, they went on this sort of big. Uh, ambitious mission maybe five or six years ago to stop all spam and, and some of that you started to get a lot of positives where they were stopping a lot of mail that was supposed to get through and that created just as much discontent among their customers um, as the spam. So um, what they tried to start doing three or four years ago was establishing relationships with the high volume legitimate senders of email so that they could make sure the legitimate senders of email got through while they were still blocking the spammers that didn't have those relationships that weren't sending high volumes of legitimate email. Um, so 
So, you know, there are special people that are hired to build relationships and to determine who is a legitimate sender, who's not a legitimate sender, based on bounce percentages as well as complaint ratios um, and you know, whether or not you come from a, a company that is has email that uh, is permission-based, of course. So um, you eventually you get into the club once they get to know you in the first call to AOL, you know, technical support four and a half years ago. They first got our first message block. You don't get anywhere at all. And um, eventually you get through to the right person by getting introduced to that person. But there's no way you can get escalated to them. You have to get introduced to them. So um, eventually you get introduced to the right people and you can get the relationship set up to make sure that the livability is good. And so at, at, at this point now, is your mail delivered by default into AOL? Um, yeah, I mean, our, our mail is delivered uh, into the inboxes at AOL, and we have a daily metric called a uh, complaint ratio, and as long as that complaint ratio remains below their acceptable limit, we'll continue to be on their enhanced whitelist uh, centers. So you're, you're an enhanced sender always into, into AOL? That's correct, yes. And because at the other end, AOL basically wants your mail, don't they? Um, yes, exactly. If there are customers that uh, want to receive our mail, as long as that remains the case, we'll continue to get the mail through. And, and, and as long as you, you guys are checking the mail that, um, before it's being sent out all the time, then, they, then that's, that's going to keep maintaining that balance and it's going to work. That's correct, yeah. That is really interesting. <laughs> um, and so, uh, let's say a problem start to escalate at AOL. Like, how uh, does that happen very often, and, and how how are you able to resolve that sort of thing? Sure. Um, you know, probably two or three years ago, we ran into some trouble where we couldn't get messages through to AOL at all. We were getting into the junk mailbox for about a week and a half period. Obviously, that became a major issue for our customers. We got on the phone and tried to get through the right people. And, Eventually, we realized we just had to get introduced by paying a pivotal grassy or return path money to consult with us so that we could get uh, respect and reputation and uh, get introduced to the right people. Um, that's what we ended up doing. Um, now, we don't really have any. Now, our volume is at such a high level that it's very unlikely that one customer could slip through our protective measures and cause a blip. Um, from time to time, there might be a day in which we go over our acceptable ratio. But as long as sort of trailing uh, 90-day average is below what the ratio they give us is, we tend to be okay. Is it hard for you to stay under these ratios? Um, it, it's hard to get under the ratios. Um, you have to have the right systems of, of stopping people who send out messages that are going to get complaints. And we've been able to develop automated systems that stop people from sending if they are over their complaint ratio. Um, and notify them why and ask them to double opt in their list, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it, it is an aggressive ratio. You know, I actually cannot tell anyone the, the number it is, but it's a certain number of emails per thousand um, that you can get a complaint on. Um, and if it's above that for any extended period of time, your messages just will not get through to these recipients. Hmm. What about, uh, is that the same with uh, Hotmail and Yahoo and Gmail as well? Yeah, I mean, it's, everyone has their own ratio, um, and the ratios are sometimes algorithms based on spam complaints as well as bounce percentages, um, as well as the number of dead emails you send, um, which are emails to addresses that no longer exist. And 
Um, as long as you have the right systems in place so that the ratio of complaints is low, you're managing, automatically managing your bounces, which is why it's really important to have a system that automatically manages your bounces and automatically everything you're unsubscribed, you'll, you'll kind of get through. All right, okay. Um, what I've noticed, um, well, actually, let me let me ask you this question then. I, I want to tell you my, my uh, Adrian's great idea on um, spam filtering, how to reduce false positives. Tell me if you think I'm crazy or not. Sure. So I use uh, Google applications, um, and so effectively Gmail. And my I, I get a fair amount of spam. I've always gotten maybe 70 to 80 messages a day, and suddenly in the last, Two weeks, I'm now getting 500 to 1,000 spams a day, which is kind of annoying. But you know, Google does a really good job in this, putting them into the spam folder. But what I've suddenly found is that I can't filter them all. I used to go through and just check it um, every day or so to make sure that I could uh, was was not deleting any real mail. It's gotten to the, vol- the volume load that I can't, and so um, I'm now using um, Google's. Uh, it's, and it's not properly built in there, but you can set tags. You can uh, basically they're tagged as spam, and I'm now searching those with uh, certain keywords such as my name, uh, names of business things that I'm working on to search the spam so that to see if there's any mail that's uh, relevant to me that's in there, and if, if there is, then I pull it out and put it into the inbox. But I'm surprised that Gmail doesn't do that automatically, and I'm wondering what your thoughts would be as to if, if that's something that would be, would be valuable to end users where they could set keywords on things that are important so that it automatically gets pulled out of the spam folder. No, I, I like that idea, and I think it's very good, um, and uh, would, would certainly encourage Gmail to, to listen to you and, and do that. Um, you know, you can set up Outlook to automatically do things like that through their filter system, and maybe what Google Mail or Gmail needs is a filter system, so you can set up some business rules to rearrange where the messages go in based on what the topics and local keywords are found in them. Well, actually, they do have they do have the ability to create filters, I guess. I guess maybe I can already do that with Gmail. When I just create a filter that it just searches for a, a keyword somewhere in the in the word yeah, to make sure it doesn't go into spam. Maybe that'll help yeah. eliminate uh, false positives, and then I don't even need to yeah. check. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you helped solve me a little productivity issue for me. Thank you. <laughs> well, good. But they should they should make that a little more obvious. That's um that's that yeah very cool. Okay. Um, do you want to just uh, tell us some more about your services and what you're looking for and how people can help you? Because you've, you've obviously got, um, you, you've proven your knowledge of um, deliverability in this call. Um, there's, there's a lot of people from different perspectives that are going to be reading this and, and listening to this. How, how, uh, how are you able to help people? I mean, are you only able to help people that have little tiny lists or are you able to help people that have like big gigantic lists? Who, who are you looking to talk to? Sure. Um, no, I mean, our, our specialty is being able to send out um, lots and lots of emails uh, very quickly and get inbox delivery. So while the large majority of our customers are uh, small businesses, less than sort of a 10,000-person list, uh, we've got people that are out there sending uh, 5 million emails a day um, and everything in between. So um, we want to work with everybody um, that is sending out permission-based emails. Now everything has to be uh, opt-in, so people have to request to receive it. Uh, we do not do third-party offers. We do not do purchase lists. Um, but if you have a list of people who have requested to receive your content, uh, regardless of the number of people on it, uh, iContact's a really efficient way of managing that list. Let me let me just ask a question there, then. Uh, how does co-registration fit into that? And I'm talking pre- uh, not pre-checked, 
I'm talking with yeah. a user to check the box to, to opt in. Can you handle this like that? As long as it is unchecked um, and the user is taking the physical action of checking the box to opt in to uh, that message, um, then that is okay. Okay. Um, and so as long as they're doing that kind of stuff, basically any list size is okay for you? Yes, that's correct. Yep, and you know our, our published pricing goes up to 100,000 subscribers, so if you have 100,000 subscribers, it would cost you... Six hundred ninety-nine dollars a month. Um, if uh, we, uh, above that, we go on a CPM basis. So, you know, some uh, somewhere ranging between two dollars fifty cents and three dollars fifty cents per thousand emails uh, is our standard pricing, depending on the volume uh, that you're sending. And are those pricing? I mean, that's for for someone that say they're sending offers to a list or something like that. Are they going to be able to make money? Um, well, if you're not, your, your offers aren't very good, right? So um, what we, you know, if you're spending $2 per thousand, $2.50 per thousand emails, uh, hopefully your offer's good enough that you're making that back. You know, e emails tended to be probably the most effective way of getting return on investment from a marketing message online if you compare it to cost per click or even organic search costs. Um, or any other way of marketing online, banner ads, etc. So, in terms, if you're communicating with the existing customer list or someone that has expressed interest in what you're sending, uh, we generally, you know, our average customer sees a tremendous amount of of return. And you know, they might spend, um, you know, three, four hundred dollars to send out a list to, you know, to fifty thousand, sixty thousand people, and they can mutually make, you know. Uh, ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars in revenue from that three hundred, four hundred dollars spend. Um, so, if uh, I mean, let's say if I've got a, I've, I've been selling a product in the past, a weight loss product. I've got a list of, I don't know, um, one or two million buyers. Um, it hasn't been active for two or three years, and I want to do something with a list. Can I take that list and upload that into our contact and start mailing to it? We would highly recommend that you double opt it in before you do. Um, if you have not um, been in touch with the people on your list in the last six months, it's sort of considered a dead list, and it's no longer an opt-in list per our definition. Um, so we would request that you double opt-in any list that you haven't sent to in six months before you send it out. Now, if you don't, that's that's fine, and that's up to you. Um, but if that ends up generating complaints that are over our allowable uh, threshold, uh, we'll, 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 you can be certain we'll be in touch very, very quickly. But so okay, so if then if I uh, were to clean off the the complaints and that kind of stuff, like um, mail it somewhere else first, and then find out where the issues are, and then bring the the rest of the list into your system, then that would be fine. Yes, you could mail it somewhere else first and bring the rest into our system, or you could send out a double opt-in request using our system uh, to those those people, and the people that still wanted it obviously would confirm their subscription and click through. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we both know that doing that kind of thing isn't always the most desirable approach. Oh, well, I'll only have to challenge you there. Um, you will end up with probably a list maybe 20 to 25% the size of the original list, but the quality of that list will be much higher and the response will be much higher. And often, um, if you get people that are more qualified, you can send offers that are much more targeted and sometimes make more than you put on the list four times the size. But I, I do agree with you that when you double opt in your list, you often do lose uh, a number of 
people on it, so don't recommend doing that unless you have not been in touch for quite some time. So you said that it's five, but when you do a double opt-in, you see between 5 and 25% uh, are the numbers that stay? Oh, no, usually about 25%. 25% opt-in? 20 25%, yeah. 20 to 25%, right. Yeah, and if the, if the relationship is recent, you know, it could be as high as 50 to 60%. Right. Um, but if it's been a while, you know, you're going to get more more in the 20 to 25%. Cool. Um, anything else you want to add in closing? No, I I, um, I, I very much enjoyed the the call, and um, you know what I very much um, am focused on is building eye contact into a big public company and creating lots of jobs here in North Carolina over the next couple of years. So, if anyone on the call uh, is interested in talking about venture capital or building a public company or advertising online or email marketing, uh, please feel free to contact me and, and look forward to, to continue working with you, Adrian, and, and everyone else. Very good. Thank you very much.